Hi, you're listening to Eternal Stance. I hope this message inspires you to live in light of eternity. Would you open to John 15? He says this, Jesus says this, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so you would bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which, w- which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. It is a powerful passage, and there's at least 10 times where Jesus mentions this word, abide. I mean, you don't go around and use this word. Like, I just love to abide. We, 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 don't, we don't say that. We, we, and to a certain extent, we don't fully understand what it means to abide. But let's put this in context here. Jesus is talking, you know, he says, abide in me. And some scholars say that this is happening right after the upper room. Right after Judas has just left him to betray him. And he is on his way from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he's walking by, I'm, I'm guessing this at this point, but he says this, that I am the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Now, of course, we don't really use this word, this word either, right? Like, we don't go around like, my father is a vine dresser, right? But, but I have a little bit of experience when it comes to this because I lived on a farm, and we had a lot of grapes, and, and I know something about planting. Uh, I, I know that every single spring, my dad would prune the trees, he would go and cut off anything that was dried up on the tree, where the vines, or whatever we had in, the, in, in any kind of tree, or any kind of, we would prune it. And sometimes the vine would, would you know, get some kind of infection or disease. I don't know if you can use infection for the vine, but and it w- a branch of it would die. So my dad would go and cut it off. Sometimes we wanted to plant and the way we planted a new vine is obviously we dug it in, but that took a very, very long time. But if we wanted to expand a vine, what we would do is we would kind of wound the vine on its side. So we would cut like a sort of a wedge into the vine. And then we would take a different kind of grape or a vine. It was like a small stick and we would cut it at an angle and put it in into that wedge and then when we bench it up some people put wax on it and as it as it spent about a couple weeks this this new you know this new piece of wood this stick would start to blossom because you would start to draw 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 from the vine uh, i think the word for that is sap right like the the nutrients the water would, would start to draw it out of the vine Right? And little by little, this whole branch would start to blossom into a whole new branch. 
Now, he had some wild things, and we would go and cut it off, but we could kind of judge the health of that. This happens not with just vines, also happens with trees, like apple trees and pear trees. People would do this. Now, of course, you could just leave a tree by itself, and, and if you were to go to a tree, and you realize pretty quickly that the apples or the pears or the grapes on the tree is bad, well, you wouldn't go and pick up all the apples and put them in the basement and say, you know what, nobody needs to know about this. Right, because you'd understand that the problem is not necessarily the fruit. The problem is in the tree. Right, I remember me and my, my brother, um, he sometimes comes here, I hope he's not here today, but um, <laughs> he, uh, we, we had this tree that it would just not grow. You know, we, we planted trees and some of them would just blossom really quickly and they would grow. And one of them would spend years and just nothing would happen. Like it was like this tall. I mean, it, was, it, was, it looked healthy, but it would not grow. So my brother got this amazing idea and he went and got some chemicals that they're supposed to be uh, agricultural chemicals, but we had no idea what those chemicals were. But he figured, well, if they're for, you know, trees, then we can just, so we dug a hole around it and we just dumped all the chemicals right around the whole tree. Well, needless to say, the next morning, the whole tree was sort of like, like all dried up, like literally like all the, the leaves just fell within a night. And we kind of realized it pretty quickly that we, that wasn't the best choice. So we started to dig around it and get all the chemicals out, but it never recovered. So if you have trees in your garden, just really know what you're planting right next to the roots or what you're putting right next to the roots. Because whatever that chemical is, is gonna make its way up, up the tree and eventually is gonna make its way into the leaves and then the fruit. And sometimes it kills the tree completely. So there's, there's a lesson for you. You shouldn't do that. Um, but the thing is, I think in, in our Christian life, a lot of times we sort of do this. Where we look in our life and we look at the word and say, my life does not match up with the word. I have a lot of bad fruit in my life. And you happen to, if you, especially if you grew up in a conservative sort of environment, you will try, you are scared more about what people will say about you then how are you before the Lord? So because you are scared of, of this, you will go around and you will try to hide the fruit of your life. So, so, so you, you smoke a little bit of pot here and there. You might get online and see some things that you shouldn't be you know, seeing, but as long as people don't know about it. You might get angry from time to time, and sometimes you smash, smash some dishes where you throw them after your spouse. But as long as people don't know, you're fine. You start seeing things in your life, you understand it's a bad fruit. Now, you wouldn't do this to an apple tree. You don't go and pluck all the apples, and you go, oh, nobody must know that these are bad apples. But that's what we do with the actions of our life, with the fruit of our life. We try to cover them so people wouldn't see them. We, we don't want to be honest about what are the fruits of our lives. And when we're faced with them, we cover that. So instead of actually going to the tree and saying and realizing, pretty, realizing that 
to change the fruit is not plucking them out and hoping the next year the apple tree or the pear or the grapes will produce something better. It's to realize that something is wrong with the tree. Something in the root or something, maybe there's a branch that sort of got this, this you know, disease on it that's kind of making its way into the whole system. And because of that, it's actually affecting all the other fruit. So you have to make sure that you go and start to change that. Now, now a, lot of, a lot of people, again, they will try to, to kind of either cover it or not produce fruit at all. And Jesus here makes it very clear that if you are in him, you should be producing fruit. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that you bear more fruit. So there's two things he says that if you are producing bad fruit, well, first, I think let's go backtrack a second here. First, you have to be grafted into Jesus. Right? So if that hasn't taken place, then no wonder what you're producing is not right. So when Jesus died on the cross, he made for us, he was wounded for our transgressions, and he made a way for us for us as sinful people to be grafted into the tree or into the vine, into him. Now, I think there's a misunderstanding here a lot. In the modern day, we talk about Jesus. We, we, we say things like, I don't like religion. I, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. We say that a lot, but I don't think that word itself, I don't think it really explains what needs to happen. Think about this. You have relationships. You have relationship with your parents. You have friendships. Those are relationships. You have romantic relationships. Those are relationships. About seven years ago, I had a boss that I really did not like. I had a relationship with him. It just wasn't a good one. So you can have a relationship, but could be not good. So just to go around and say you have a relationship with Jesus, I think the question then should follow that is what kind of relationship you have with Jesus. Not necessarily that you have a relationship with Jesus. Because I can go around and say, well, I have a relationship with Jesus, but it could be a very, very bad one. So, so we can't just sort of dismiss. So we have to be ab abiding in him. This idea that Jesus is the tree. Jesus is the vine. And we used to be plugged into our old tree, a tree that led to death, into our old ways of doing things. We were, we're, we were planted in our rebellion. We were planted in the things of this world. We were planted and we followed the desires of our hearts. And God came and he plucked us out of that and he wounded himself and he grafted us in, he placed us into himself. And then the Holy Spirit came and like the wax, when somebody grafts a piece of vine or a piece of, of apple tree into another tree, the Holy Spirit came and sealed that. Remember how the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the seal? 
right? So, so God wounded himself and he, cut, he, he made a space for you to be grafted into the tree. And now you are planted. Now some of you were planted two weeks ago and that connection is very fragile. Some of you have been walking with the Lord for a year and you're like, okay, well, I can, I don't, I'm not producing fruit yet, but I'm, I'm drawing, I'm, I'm sucking for lack of a better term. I'm sorry, but like, right? Like I am drawing from the tree. I'm taking in the, the sap of the tree, the nutrients from the tree. So, so if you've been a Christian for a year and you don't see things in your life, I understand. You're, you're a new Christian yet. I mean, you should, start seeing, you should still see some evidence. You should still at least have some leaves, right? Like you should still be sprouting. But if you haven't seen fruit, but if you've been a Christian for five, 10 years, 30 years, and, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit is not in your life. You know, if you're 60 and you walk around and all you do is complain about people, and complain about pastors and churches, and complain about you know things that don't you know, and keep on blaming other people for your problems. You're not you're not kind. You're not gentle. You're not exercising. You're not walking in love. If you're not seeing, you should really wonder if you're grafted in. Are you grafted into Jesus or not? Because you see, the way a branch dies. Now, and here's the, the bad news and the good news. The bad news is that it doesn't depend on you, right? To a certain extent, God is the one who did all the work. But the good news is that it doesn't depend on you because he's the one who grafted you in. The only thing that can separate you, the only thing that, that can make you as a branch on Jesus' tree dead is rebellion, is unbelief, is saying, I want, I'm grafted in, but I, want, I don't want to withdraw anything from Jesus. If you're not, again, for the lack of a better term, sucking in the things of Jesus, if you're not taking in, it's just a matter of time when you will, you will die. Look at this, in Romans 11, um, 16, there's this amazing passage where Apostle Paul is talking the about the Israelites and he says that they were the first, they were the ones that God redeemed and some of them understand this. But then some of them, because of their unbelief, they were removed and you were grafted in. Look at this, Romans eleven sixteen. 16. Uh, I don't know if we're going to be able to have it on the screen. Okay, there you go. Um, if the first piece of dough is holy, the whole lump is also holy, or also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive, meaning you, the Gentiles, the Romans, he's talking to the Romans here, right? Which is also us. It says you being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree. So you, as Gentiles, you, there, there, there was a space, there was a wedge, um, 
There was a, a cut, a wound that was made for you, and you were grafted in, right? And he goes on, and he goes on to say in verse 18, it says, Do not be arrogant towards the branches, but if you are arrogant, remember that it's not you who, support the, uh, who supports the root, but the root who supports you, or the root supports you. You will say them, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold the kindness and the severity of God to those who fail. Severity, uh, to those who fail severity, but to you, God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will also be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. So the Israelites were the people who Jesus came after. But some of them were broken off because of their unbelief. And room was made for all of us to be grafted in now. Now, if we continue in our unbelief and our rebellion saying, God, I want nothing to do with you, you will be broken off too. And if they start to believe, if they start to withdraw, you know, from Jesus, then they can be grafted in again. Does that make sense? Right. So again, they were the initial ones. And because of their unbelief, they were cut off. And you were grafted in. But be careful. You can't be arrogant. Because if you show unbelief, if you are rebellious, then you will bro be broken off too. And if you're broken off too, th there is a chance for those people who are believing to be grafted back in. Amazing, isn't it? crazy thing about this passage is that, wow, you can be broken off. But the good news is that, that you can be grafted back in. Right? So, so this morning, I want to ask you, what kind of fruits do you see in your life? Because if you don't see the fruit of the Holy Spirit, then you should really wonder if you are, are grafted in. And if you are secure, if you are sure that you're grafted in, then are you, is your unbelief, is your rebellion holding you back from thriving, from blossoming, from producing fruit? Jesus says, abide in me. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, this is interesting here because when we talk about he says takes away, I kind of went and looked to Greek. I know I don't want a Greek over your head, but like, the word there is this word, um, I think it's called arrow. And uh, yeah, arrow. And is, it's not what we thought because when we say take away, it means like he just snaps it, right? But the Greek word there is arrow, which means to raise up and elevate. So if you're a branch and fell, right? Because if you look at the vine, right? It doesn't, it's not a tree that goes straight up. It, it, the vine it's, it, is a creeper by nature, right? So it kind of, changes kind of directions and, and is co constantly crawling everywhere, 
right? So if a branch fell, falls on the ground, then it doesn't produce any fruit. And he says, for those who fell on the ground, God picks up, he raises up. But if the branch refuses to abide, to, um, I don't know if the word assimilate would be, probably not a good, uh, not a good word, but to, to, be, um, to be grafted in is to take on Jesus' nature, to take on his nutrients. Now, when we talk about a vine and then some, some you know, stick that gets plugged into it, these are two different natures. But the moment that sticks makes its way into the vine and starts to withdraw from the vine, then he has the same nature because it's eating from the same thing. It changes it. It changes it. And it sprouts in something that is, is more the vine than it is the stick itself. So what I'm trying to tell you this morning is that maybe you did not know Jesus up until now and you were dried up by yourself. I mean, when I talk about, well, when I talk to people and everyone seems to be depressed these days, like everyone seems to be like, yeah, oh, I'm just going through depression, man. And I'm like, wait a second. I mean, is there a loss in your life? Did somebody die? I understand if there's a loss, there's a mourning period, right? Like you've lost something. It's okay to, to have a, a period of sadness because you are mourning a loss. But we call everything depression. I'm depressed, man. I'm just, I'm just going, I'm just depressed. If you're a Christian and you use that kind of language, then you should really wonder, why though? If you're depressed, that means maybe you're not, if you're depressed or if you're dying off, maybe because you're not eating from the vine. That should point to something that's way bigger than, oh, it's just a temporary thing that I'm going through. If you are a leader in the house and ministries become a chore to you, well, people just annoy you now. Well, you're like, can this guy just get done, done, uh, done talking because I, I need to go eat. <laughs> right? If y- that's the attitude, if, if you don't, you know, like, uh, it, I'm, I love, like, uh, I'm working on this new project right now, and I love when you work on a new project. You have this new passion. You're like, yes, oh, we got to do this, and oh, we got to do this, and oh, we got to do that. And halfway through the project, you're like, yeah, I don't know about this, <laughs> right? And, and like, th- there's something amazing happens when there's a, there's a dose of like hope that's inserted in you, right? When you are starting to withdraw vision and you start to withdraw from Jesus, right? You know, your joy, right? Because here's what, where it gets things interesting. You, you look at this and it's kind of a lengthy passage here, but he talks about you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and on you and the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless you abide in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, I am in him. He bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. If you don't abide in Jesus, you will die spiritually. I've seen this happen with me. Uh, I've seen this, uh, this happen with m- my friends. There was a time in my life where I started to sort of say, I don't want to believe this whole Christian thing. And I realized how slowly I started to, to die. Where I had no longer joy. I had a problem with pretty much everyone and everything. I've seen people that, uh, and my friends that lost their faith because of their unbelief and their rebellion against God. 
right? He says that if you refuse to abide or to be grafted in and actually start to withdraw from Jesus, then ultimately you are going to dry up, you'll, you'll be cut off, and you will be burned. Now, put this in context. Jesus is saying this after moments after Judas left him and went to betray him. He goes on to say, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. All the prosperity preachers are here. Come on. That sounds amazing. Ask, and we take that, the last part of that verse. Ask anything you want uh, and Jesus will grant it to you. But that's not what he says, does it? He says, if you abide in me, then you can ask whatever you want and you will get it. What's the condition there? To abide. And if you abide, your nature becomes like him. And what you want now is sanctified. And now your wants align. And the reason God can say that, that whatever you wish can be done for you, is because your whole desire system just got changed. And what you desire now is the things of God, right? And he goes on to say, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Two major things in there. God gets glory out of you having much fruit in your life. And the second thing is, by showing that you have fruit, you prove to be his disciple. How do you know you are his disciples? By seeing fruit in your life. But if you don't see fruit in your life, then you should wonder if you are his disciples. A disciple. It's, it's pretty straightforward. But my favorite verses come next. It says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and I abide in his love. And he's, here's the piece of resistance, right? Verse 11. The things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may, 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 be may be full or made full. So what's the reward? The reward is I told you all this to abide because apart from me, you cannot have joy. As C.S. Lewis puts it this way, apart from God, there is no, such, there is no happiness. He cannot give you happiness apart of himself because there's no such a thing. Right? So the reward here is if you abide in me, regardless of what's going on through your life, you will be in my joy. And my joy will be in you full. That is the reward. No, 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 the Bible in different verses says that the joy of the Lord is my what? My strength. Have you ever uh, had a moment in your life where you had a crisis of identity and also a crisis of energy? So you didn't know who you were and you... You were too tired to find out. But you've had those moments before. Where not only you didn't know what you were doing, but you have no strength to fight. No strength to read the Bible. No strength to actually pray. You know what gives us strength? is the joy of the Lord. And if we don't abide we don't see the joy of the Lord in our lives. And that is kind of like the ultimate thing where people, a lot of times they don't realize this. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I loved you. And as we 
abide in this joy, the next passage comes in and says, this is my commandment that you love one another. Just as I loved you, greater love has no one than this, than one to lay his, down, his, uh, down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for slaves don't know what the master is doing, but I have called your friends. Now, it's interesting that Jesus uses the word here, command you. Because that sounds, that sounds really kind of like, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's a power play. And it is. And he can. You know why? Because he's God. I, I know if that upsets your apple cart, but like, Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Now you can look at that and be like, wow, that sounds very uh, tyrannistic. What Jesus is saying here is, listen, I'm the one who knows what's really good for you. I'm the one who has all the answers. I'm the source of your joy. It's like a kid, you know, not listening to his parents. Like if you're, if you're five and your mom tells you not to stick nails inside of the electrical sh- socket, that's not because she doesn't love you. That's because she does love you. And when she commands you not to do that, it's because she knows better. Right? But we've, we've sort of lost this in our modern thing. Like, oh, I don't, I don't, want, like, I, I don't want that kind of God. My Jesus will never. Well, that's your Jesus. That's a Jesus of your imagination because this is what the Bible says. You are his friends if you do what he commands. Right? He goes on to say, that as you are abiding in me, you will go around and now you will show your love, I mean, my love that, that flows through you. He says, no one, uh, greater ha- love is, has no one than this, than to lay his life down for his friends. This is the amazing thing. Now, now when you experience God's joy, you'll start to kind of give that out. You'll start to love people differently. You'll start to understand that if your waiter, you know, comes and, and, and they don't actually take care of you, you understand really quickly that maybe they had a long day and you see people in a different light. But even with this, the world is still going to hate you. This is something that I cannot stress enough. Like, we think that by following Jesus, a, 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 a lot of times we even think that like being Christians is a cool thing. The Christian life is an impossibility if you try to do it on your own. The Christian life is not possible unless, unless you abide in Him and you are led by the Holy Spirit. So just because you follow after Jesus, that might not make you cool. That not, might not make you like the most favorite when it comes to everyone. The world might still hate you and most likely they will because they hated him. And that's what Jesus says. If the whole world hates you, verse 18, know that he hated me before you. And then in verse 27 says this, But when the helper comes, or when the helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of God, the truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, and you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. So I've I've talked about all these things, right? Like, but how do you practically abide? And 
my call, call, call here to prayer in very sh- short moments, but I want to talk to you about how do you practically abide? We don't use that word again, and, and I think a lot of times we have a misunderstanding of what that word means. Well, it's the things that we've been doing, but it's not about the systems themselves. It's about what you're trying to accomplish th- through those things. What are some practical ways of abiding? Is actually meditating on God's Word. It's not just reading your Bible. I think we, we've, we've heard that so many times, or just read your Bible. I've read the Bible and I was falling asleep. I had no idea what I was reading. But there was times, and there are times right now, that when the Word just kind of lodges inside of your heart, and you, you cannot help but think about these things. And you meditate on God's word day and night. That is one way to abide in Him, to know Him, to know His word. To abide means to spend time in His presence. I know a lot of times you come and worship and you don't know if you should sing or you should pray. Well, if you cannot sing, you can pray. But if you can pray, you don't have to sing. But this should not just be the only time you pray or sing. Now, of course, I know that a lot of you have a, a, a prayer life. Some of you put me to shame when it comes to your prayer life. But I hope that you understand that prayer is more than just three hours you spend in prayer. If you spent three hours in prayer and you came out and you were angry, and then you should probably go back in. Because I don't know how you spend those three hours. If you, I've said this, I rewritten the last Sunday. If you talk about theology and how many hours you spend in prayer, but you treat people like garbage, you, you should really reconsider that. Prayer should be an every second thing when you're constantly communicating with the Lord. Now, there's times for devotions. There's time for just spending time in prayer, uh, just this prayer alone with your phone off and so on and so forth. But prayer should be part of your every single moment. God shouldn't be just the first in your life. God should be the center of everything that you do. Every relationship, every event, everything that you do, you abide in Him. Every single conversation, you abide in Him. Every single task that you're tasked with. Fellowship. Now, I know that our church uh, is a lot on, on having events, but our purpose is not the events themselves. That's just, just a means by which we achieve a goal. Our goal is to see God glorified and people's lives transformed. And you might not come here and preach from the stage, but you might actually fellowship in the hallway and you might be speaking in someone's life things that maybe I'll never be able to speak of. So fellowship is an, is an amazing thing. Apostle Paul in Hebrews 11, I think, he talks about how don't forsake the fellowship of the brethren just like some of you have done. Church fellowship is important. And the last one is this, is that next week we're going to have baptism. And then Pastor Yuri mentioned on Wednesday we have communion. It's to partake in the sacraments 
of Jesus. If you have not been baptized, make a decision to be baptized. Baptism is not a moment where you're ready. Because quite frankly, I've ba I was baptized 2004. Yeah, I'm that old. Right, like 2004. And <laughs> I still think that I'm not perfect. And I still make mistakes every single day. Baptism is a public announcement of a, your inward commitment that you made to follow Christ. And to be dead to your old nature, to your old tree, and to be grafted in to the new tree, which is Jesus. Now, of course, baptism you should only do once. We don't believe in a whole bunch of baptism because I that time I wasn't really serious, but this time I'm very serious. No, just be baptized once. Make a commitment. And if you fall away for whatever reasons, remember that Jesus wants to restore you. All you need to do is repent. You don't need to go, go re-baptize and so on and so forth. But communion should be, you know, an on ongoing thing. I know we do it once a month, but you should remember the cross every day. You should remember, I know families that they take communion as a family. I know people that got married on their wedding day, they took communion. What a beautiful thing. Communion is to say, I, I want to remember what Jesus has done for, uh, for me on the cross and partake to abide on that, what he has done for me on the cross. So church, as we are going into this fall season, I know that it just started and I know some of you are going to school and some of you are going to your job and some of you are starting small groups and you're already tired. And you haven't even started. And you're already walking around defeated. And you already have a crisis of identity and a crisis of energy and you're too tired to find out who you are. Right? I hope you understand this concept about not focusing on what you're producing. I think what you produce as a fruit is a revelation of what kind of grafting you have in, what kind of a, a, abiding you have in Christ. But so many of us are so concerned with, I don't want people to see my bad sides. I don't want to see people to see my sins. I don't want because I have some bad apples and I got to pluck them. No, change the branch altogether. Be grafted in and abide in Him. Man, would you stand with me? Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast is a blessing to you, would you share with other people? Thank you in advance, and until next time, God bless you.